All right, well, welcome to uh, week two of a series that we started just last week. I've entitled Spoken Reality. If you were here last week, then you know kind of where this kind of comes from. It's a phrase that's been used in our house for the last few years, uh, something that Jessica coined a long time ago, where we just kind of say something and hope that uh, nobody calls us out on it, right? Uh, I gave you guys the examples last week of my boys, my teenage boys, and if you ask them, listen, is your room clean? And they say, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is. It just means that they say that it is, right? So we have to go in and we'd have to double check because they're teenagers. And I was a teenage boy and I had piles in my room. I remember this. My, my parents still kind of will throw this out every once in a while. I had a, I had a clean pile of clothes. I had a, I could probably wear that again, pile of clothes. And I had a, no, no, I'm never wearing those again, pile of clothes, right? So just because we say that room is picked up doesn't necessarily mean it is. And so we've, we've kind of coined that and talked about a number of different areas in our life that we, we talk about that phrase being kind of used in. Uh, and, and we've kind of now adapted that. I've adapted that into our spiritual life. Just because we claim things spiritually doesn't mean that those are realities, right? And, and what we want to do is we want to live in a world where nobody calls us out on it. We want to live in a world where we can just say whatever it is that we want to say, and everybody just kind of go, oh, okay, well, that's what they are. That's what they, that's what they believe. And it doesn't matter what happens in real life. It just matters what you say about real life. And so the heart of spoken reality is that I can stand in my garage and say that I'm a car. It doesn't mean that I'm a car. I can go to Burger King in the middle of the restaurant and say I'm a cheeseburger. It doesn't make me a cheeseburger. And if I stand in the middle of intentional sin, if I stand in the middle of a whole life disobedience and an unrepentant heart and say that I'm a good Christ follower doesn't mean that I am. Too often we state something and we claim something and we define our reality, but it's not really lived out. It's not backed up. It's not substantiated by real life. And we get to a point, I believe, that where we say it enough that even we begin to believe that it's true. I put Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 as our theme verse for this series. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, in the body I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a statement that you can't fake. That's a statement that you can't just say and then do whatever else you want to do. If you're going to claim Galatians 2 20, then you better live Galatians 2.20. And so the question begs is what are we making most important? What are we giving our best? What is our spiritual life really made of? Not just what we say, but what we actually do. So over the series, we're going to look at a couple of real life things and real life examples of people in scripture who were claiming all the right things, but maybe in reality weren't really living them out. And I think they, like we, need a wake-up call back to what God's called us to. And there's a thousand different directions I could go for this. Real talk. Uh, I, we talked last week about the rich young ruler. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Israelites in the desert. Remember them walking around and they're claiming to be God's people. They were just griping all the time, all the time, just griping and, and, and nagging Moses about uh, not having this or not having that. Uh, we could talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament, but we probably will come back to them at some point. There's an incredible passage of scripture where there's a broken person praying and a Pharisee calls them out and says, thank you, God, I'm not like him, that I'm righteous in heart and all these things. And man, we're probably going to come back to that because it's so good. I wanted to talk about Ananias and Sapphira. 
Like lie to God and you die. That's what I wanted to talk about. But God just kept going, no, no, don't do that. Because it's so good, right? And so I hesitated this morning. As a matter of fact, I'll be real honest with you. I, I do this every once in a while. I have a plan. You guys know I have a plan. Uh, try to have a plan. And, and I, I wrote um, about 75% of, of a sermon and then I, I deleted it. Um, and I was Thursday uh, really just kind of re kind of recentering on what I felt like God was kind of leading us to today. And I hesitated on this because I have plans. I have, I have plans for the summer. You guys know if you've been here long enough in the summer series, uh, I do an extended series. Maybe sometimes it's eight to ten weeks long uh, from really, what is that, Memorial Day to Labor Day, or I get those two mixed up, whichever one's early to the one that's in late, okay? Uh, and I normally do one big long teaching series over the, sermon, the summer, and this summer, my plan is to go through uh, First and Second Samuel. And I love the stories in First and Second Samuel. If you were uh, at Men's Breakfast uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about that. Matter of fact, if you've got little ones in our Wednesday night ministry, uh, I have, I've had the, the I'm going to say this like this, I've had the privilege of teaching uh, the, the kids on Wednesday night for the last couple of weeks because we had a lot of people out, sickness and all this kind of stuff. And we talked about some of these things on, uh, with the little ones on, on Wednesday night. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be able to move that direction, but I know that I've got to wait. And so I, I thought, I don't want to steal my own thunder, right? I've got things I want to talk about this summer, but I just kept coming back to this over and over and over again. And I thought, you know what? I know that, I know that they remember every word of every sermon that I ever preach. And so maybe they'll just forgive me if I double down uh, maybe in the later months. And so just, if you've got your Bible, let's go to 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to just look at the first couple of chapters and some of the unfolding story of, uh, of a, a guy by the name of Samuel who's really in the background here. Uh, really, there's, there's a lot more going on here. First Samuel begins the epic story of the kings of Israel. Right? It talks about guys like Saul and Jonathan. It talks about David and Goliath. There's a story about a witch that conjures a spirit. It's, it's incredible. You should be reading uh, your Bible if you don't, you, you need to. And, and if you don't know where to start, then go with First and Second Samuel. You'll be caught up uh, by the time we get there in the summer. But at the very beginning, the Bible talks about two guys, and the Bible calls them a very interesting word, and that word is scoundrels. They're scoundrels. And I thought, what better way to introduce these guys than this morning? So before we get there, let's kind of let's jump and catch you up what's going on. First Samuel chapter 1 begins with a guy by the name of Elkaniah. And Elkaniah is married to two women, Hannah and Penina. Okay, Hannah and Penina. Hannah has no children, and Penina has children. The Bible says that she has children, many sons and daughters, right? It doesn't, doesn't say how many. And it even doesn't even tell us much more about Penina other than she had kids and Hannah did not. So every year what would happen, because Elkaniah was a good guy, he would take his family to Shiloh and worship God at the tabernacle there. Now, if we were to back this story up, uh, Shiloh has been the place where the tabernacle is kind of established. This is where it's been. Ever since uh, Joshua led the people into the promised land, Joshua was the one who established Shiloh as kind of the resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. And so where the Ark was is where the tabernacle was. Every once in a while it would bounce around maybe to Bethel or maybe to Mitzvah. If you read through your Old Testament, you'll read that it kind of moved every once in a while. But most of the time it was in 
Shiloh. So Elkanah would go with his family there and worship. And, and there were multiple priests serving at the temple or at the tabernacle in that point. But in, in our story this morning, we really need to worry about the high priest. His name was Eli. And Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Two guys who were, who were priests serving at the tabernacle. They were defined as leaders of the priests. It's a, it's a good gig if your dad's the boss. If your dad's the high priest, then you kind of get a pretty good little position, right? So if you were to keep reading, you'd see that, that Hannah comes to the tabernacle and she, she is praying. The Bible says that she's begging God for a son. God, if you'd, if you'd only grant me a son, then I would dedicate him to the Lord, to the service of the Lord. Essentially, what she's saying is, if you give me a son, God, I'll give him right back to you. I'll, I'll give him to the tabernacle. He'll serve the priests in the tabernacle his whole life if you'll just grant me this one thing. And so Hannah prays, and the Bible says, in her anguish, Eli, the high priest, sees her. As a matter of fact, he thinks that she's drunk because the Bible says that her mouth is moving, but no words are coming out. She's just pouring her heart out. And then she turns to, to Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, and says, I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. So I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my soul. And that's really, we could stop right here and just talk about that for the rest of the morning. That we could, at some point in our life, get to this point in our prayer life where we are so broken and we are so needy and we are so wanting God to move in our life that we just pour out our heart to him. It's an incredible passage. Eli eventually looks at Hannah and says, Go, God will grant you what you've asked. And sure enough, the Bible says that she goes back home, she gets pregnant, and she gives birth to a boy, and she names that boy Samuel. Um, she keeps her end of the deal. She uh, fulfills her promise. She takes Samuel to Shiloh, and he is to serve the priests there. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. It says this, Eli's sons were scoundrels. You should underline that word or circle it. It's a great word. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Now let me pause here because it seems a little weird, but this is how this is how they ate. This is how they lived. Remember when, when the people came into the promised land, the tribe of Levi, they didn't get a land allotment. Levi, was a, they were the priests, and so they lived off the offerings of the people, just kind of like it is now, except I'm not walking around with a three-pronged fork, right? And so this is, this is common practice. This isn't as weird as maybe it sounds. Uh, boil the meat. When it's tender, you stick a fork in it, and, and you get to whatever you bring up, you get to eat, and your family gets to eat, but everything else is part of the offering. Okay, so verse 15. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. 
And if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And you can imagine this is not what's supposed to happen, right? They were, they were taking chunks of prime meat, right? Things that, that were supposed to be offered and boiled. And they were like, no, we're not even going to let you even get to that point yet. We just want the good stuff. And on top of that, if the one who was, who was offering the offering refused, they would try to beat them up. Can you imagine? Like if I gathered the deacons on a Sunday morning and said, hey, all right, guys, go pew to pew and ask them for some money. And if they don't, tell them we'll beat them up. Right? That's essentially what's happening. Like, tell them we'll take them out back and teach them a lesson. Right? That's, that's what's happening among the priests and the servants. It's the weirdest thing in the world. It's not only crazy, but it's crazy wrong on every level. No wonder the Bible called them scoundrels. You already see some of the issues as it pertains to spoken reality, right? They're claiming to be something that they're not. They're claiming to be the good guys, the priests, the ones who are in right relationship with God, the one who can commune with God, the ones who can, who can enter the tabernacle. And if, they're, if their lot is drawn, they can even enter into the holy of holies. They're the good guys. Hophni and Phinehas were claiming right relationship and not living right relationship at all. They were taking advantage of people. They were, they were cheating people, and they were doing it all under the blanket of God. The Bible says the sin of the young men was very great. They're playing at something, really something that they should not be playing at at all. And in the meantime, what's incredible and what we don't have time to get into this morning is that Samuel is growing up there, like there under these guys, under what's, what is, what is a, such a bad representation of who God really is. And, and what, what you don't know, and we don't, we'll get into it this summer, is that Hannah, Hannah knew that these men were awful men. But she made a promise to God, and she fulfilled it. It's this beautiful picture of, of faithfulness of a destitute woman and the unfaithfulness of those claiming to serve God. So the natural question we have to ask ourselves is, where's dad? Right? Where's Eli? Where's the high priest? He's the one that should be keeping his sons in line. Keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they slept with the women who serve at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. So we're adding to the list, right? So we know that they're stealing, offering, but they're also taking advantage of women. They're just stacking up sin after sin. At this point, they don't care, right? They're in this mindset that they're untouchable. They can do whatever they want to do. And finally, Eli calls them out, going, listen, guys, it's, what he's about to say here is profound. He says, verse 24, no, my sons. The report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. 
what Eli says. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if someone sins against God, who will intercede for them is heavy. It's an incredible statement. Hear, hear me, and please hear my heart through this. We've got a lot of people who are sinning against the Lord. Now, a lot of people who are serving the church with the wrong heart. And a lot of people who are doing all the right things with the wrong motives. We've got a lot of people who are playing the church game and their hearts are far from God. And they're claiming, yeah, I'm super involved in my church. I mean, I'm, I may not attend very often. They don't really serve. They're not really uh, servers. They're more consumers of the church. Or they say things like, well, business is business and church is church, right? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to take advantage of people in the name of growing business and dealing with work stuff in my quote-unquote real life. And then I'm going to come and do my church life here as if we could ever separate the two of them. See, Hophni and Phinehas are, are prime examples of spoken reality. They're not servants of God. They're manipulators of grace. They're robbers of God. They're users of people. They're playing a game at church while living a life however they want to. And unfortunately, it sounds a lot like a lot of us. And they didn't listen to the rebuke of their father. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. That verse 25, the last half of that, struggled with. I have struggled with that for a while. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. I mean, how do we balance that statement with statements like 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9? It's not, the Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How do we say that God is wanting everyone to come to repentance, but in the same breath, it's his will to, to kill these guys? And so, I read a lot. And one theme continued to emerge. God knows. God knows. God knows the decisions that we're going to make. God knows that the impact of the decisions that we're going to make. And we, meaning really all of creation, we are his. And so, the implied conclusion of this statement is that if, you're, if your life of disobedience and your continued future decisions of disobedience are going to make more harm or more severe harm to the gospel than God and his sovereignty has the ability to do whatever he wants to in your life including ending your life God knows and that hit deep like I, I, I remember sitting in my chair just like my hands on my head going this is hard but it's almost like how could we as professing believers, as people who say that, that we are Christ followers, be so deceived and so full of ourselves and so misled and so unwilling to repent and harden the heart that we become our own catalyst to our own demise. God's will here is based off the actions of Hophni and Phinehas. Not because he's mean or spiteful, but because he's trying to protect his name. The story of these men is a teachable moment, but make no mistake, it's a tragedy. 
Men who are supposed to be living right, who are supposed to be doing everything to serve God and lead the people of God and to worship Him correctly, are manipulating and taking Him for granted and are using God for their own benefit. If you keep reading, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27, the Bible says, A man of God came to Eli. A man of God. Now that's interesting because that phrase is used a couple of different times in Scripture, and it means one of two things. Number one, it means an angel. Right? If, if you were to read, uh, if you were to go back in Scripture and read when, when Joshua wrestled with a man, it was uh, attending an angel, right? And the angel dislocated his hip and changed his name to Israel and all that great stuff happened. And that's when a man wrestled. But then another, uh, another use of that word is that it could be a prophet. Prophet said, came to Eli and said to him. Now, th- this is why it's so interesting. If this is a prophet and not an angel, if it's a physical man, then this is the first prophet to be listed in Scripture since Deborah back in the time of the judges. About 200 years have gone by with no mention of prophetic word of God. 200 years without the words of a prophet being recorded in Scripture. It's incredible. This prophet comes, and he kind of reminds Eli and says, listen, I rescued you from Egypt. I chose you from all the families to serve as priests, and I gave you provision through the people's sacrifice. And now, quote, why do you scorn the sacrifice and offering? Why are you taking advantage of what I've appropriated for you? Why are you trying to manipulate this whole system for your benefit? And then he says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourself on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? <laughs> so now we get a different perspective on Eli. Right? Eli's not some uh, unknowing kind of Uh, I I didn't know what was happening here. He was knowingly eating the stolen sacrifice. He may not have been physically taking it himself, but he sure was fattening himself on it. It's like basically him saying like, listen, I didn't, I mean, I didn't do it. I didn't take it, but I'll go ahead and benefit from it. This is self-justification on a level that never, ever works. As a married individual, I didn't initiate flirtatious behavior. I just reciprocated it. It's the one who made a clerical mistake in the business books. Well, I didn't make the mistake, but I'm sure not going to tell any of us about it because it works in our favor. I saw this with my own eyes. Jess and I were in, uh, we were in Walmart at the holidays because that's what you do at Christmas. You go to Walmart a lot. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, and you guys know Walmart, there's, there's not checkers. You, you work at Walmart when you go to Walmart. And so uh, we went to the self-checkout line, and there was a lady who was in, in the line, and, and she was very well-dressed. She's an older lady, uh, jewelry. She, she looked very well put together, whatever. We're checking out. I noticed she's got this buggy full of stuff. I'm talking maybe $200, $300, $400 worth of stuff from stuff to groceries, everything. And she goes, the only reason why I even noticed her because we had like five things and we were in the little bitty self-checkout things, you know, the the thing that have like places for you to put your bags. And she's checking all this stuff out, scanning. 
each item and putting it in the Walmart sack, scanning my item, put it in the Walmart sack, and then she just put it all right back in her, uh, in her buggy. And when she was done, I watched her. She reached up, hit the cancel all button, and turned around and walked out with all her stuff in tow. She never even pulled out a wallet to pay for it, but she made it look like to everybody else she was ringing up all her stuff. Now, everything inside me wanted to yell and scream and go, thief, right? Just like tackle this old lady in the middle of Walmart, but I didn't want to be on the news. And so I just watched her. And she walked outside, and she loaded it all up in her brand-new Lexus, and she just drove off. And I thought, this is, this is exactly what we do as believers. We, we go through all the motions like we're doing everything right, but we don't really ever do it. I, I was like, this is kind of weird. I didn't say anything. We got outside, and Jessica said, that was that woman. <laughs> and I said, what did you see her do? And she said, she didn't pay for those. And I was like, I didn't think she did either. And, and the reason why we knew that, because the guy who came to the, to the register after her, he had to call somebody over because it had all her transactions still on it with the cancel all button. And you got to have somebody override it. And she's gone. And, I, and the more I thought about it, I thought, that's us. We're just faking it. I mean, she, she took the time, instead of just walking right out the door, she took the time to go to the self-checkout and, and to, to place each item and scan each item and put it in a bag and, and make it look like she had it all together and never really did anything at all. That spoken reality lived out, right? Claiming innocence, knowing full well you're guilty, is exactly what Eli was doing. He rebuked his sons, but then he ate the meat. He got on to them for how they were doing it, but he kept eating the benefit of it. And hear the words of the prophet, this is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Therefore, the Lord... The God of Israel declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever, but now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me, I will disdain. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be disdained. It's a word we don't use very much, disdained. It means this, in the original language, to curse to shake, to be made little account, insignificant. See, that's the core of spoken realities that you're trying to make what you're doing okay. You're trying to justify your behavior. You're trying to make yourself appear more and better than you really are. And God says right here, in the end, your life will be insignificant. Our desires and our actions and everything that we're doing is trying to find something. We're trying to find significance. We're trying to find uh, maybe honor or, or glory in our own eyes. And in our own disobedience, we become just the opposite. We become insignificant. See, the result of a spoken reality life is just that. It's nothing at all. 
And it's heavy because it's real. Trying to find significance. And then meanwhile, God says, some of your life is going to be just the opposite. It's going to be insignificant. So at the end of chapter 2, the man of God tells Eli three things. He says, I'm going to appoint a faithful priest to serve. Number two, no one in your family line will ever live to see old age. They're all going to die young. And number three, both of your sons will die on the same day. And immediately after this chapter, God calls Samuel, right? Samuel, who's been living in the, in the background of all this for, for years. He's kind of seen this story begin to unfold and continue to, to kind of set back and do the right thing when nobody else around him is doing the right thing. And so God calls Samuel in the middle of all this dysfunction. And Samuel becomes then the, the, the prophet and the mouthpiece of God for Israel. He eventually becomes the kingmaker, right? Samuel anoints Saul. When Saul falls, Samuel anoints David. Samuel is the kingmaker of Israel, and he's living in the middle of all this dysfunction, and he's doing it right. But what about Hophni and Phinehas? These two guys who kind of started off the scoundrels who've done everything wrong, they teach us one more valuable lesson before their demise. Let's look at it. Go to chapter 4, 1 Samuel. <coughs> 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1 through 4 says this. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders asked Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let's bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is a throne between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Let's take this whole picture in. The Israelites are fighting the Philistines, which is something they did pretty often in the Old Testament. If you read it, you're going to see that that theme come up over and over again. They're camped about two miles away from each other, one in Ebenezer, one in Aphek. And the Philistines are coming in the middle in this kind of open ground, and they're fighting each other, and the Philistines are winning to the point that Israel's already lost 4,000 soldiers, 4,000 men. And then the Bible says the elders, and we don't know who these guys are, The word is used a couple of different ways in in the Old Testament specifically. Sometimes it just means the old guys, right? Sometimes it means the wise guys, and sometimes it means the wise old guys, okay? So we don't know if these are just old guys or wise people or whoever they are. But the elders come up with a plan. Let's go to Shiloh. Let's get the ark. Let's bring it to the battlefield. The ark. Ark of the Covenant, this wooden box that's covered in gold, filled with the original Ten Commandments, a jar of manna from the desert, and Aaron's rod that budded and and proved him and his family line to be the priests of Israel. That ark with the golden cherubim on top, whose wings touched, was the top of the ark is called the mercy seat, the thing that no Israelite was allowed to touch without penalty of death. Let's bring that 
to the front line of a battle as if it's some lucky rabbit's foot that surely God would save the ark if nothing else. So let's just bring the most important thing that we have to the battlefield and let's let God win for us. And wouldn't you know, who accompanied the ark? Now I'm just imagining here because of their description in Scripture. That Hophni and Phinehas come with their stamp of approval of this misappropriation of God's presence. And they're proudly walking alongside the ark as if they are the conquering heroes of the battlefield. And and really, the elders should have known better. They should have known better. But if not, the priests should have. One commentary I read said the ark was a symbol of Jehovah's presence among them and their being his special people. And by exposing it to danger, they supposed that they would compel their God to interfere on their behalf. They were baiting God to intervene. They thought that God would save them. And instead, it leads to their defeat. Chapter 4, verse 5 through 9 tells the story. We won't read it. The people, the ark enters the, the camp of the Israelites, and the people go nuts. They just explode in excitement and energy, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and, then, and the Philistines can hear them. And, and they say, surely a God has entered their camp. And the Philistines are not ignorant. They've heard the stories about Egypt. They know what they did to Pharaoh. They know about the conquering army and how they came in and they took the land and they settled in a land that was already inhabited by other people. And, and the Philistines kind of were, they were a little scared. But then their battle cry became, be men and fight. They said, if we're going to take them with the energy that they've got and a God among them, then we better come with all we've got. And they did, and they beat them to the point that 30,000 Israelites died. 30,000 Israelites died, including Hophni and Phinehas. The ark was captured by the Philistines. Literally, the presence of God with the Israelites is now in Philistines' hands because, because they were playing at something. And then you're going, okay, well, what's this have to do with spoken reality? They weren't trusting God. They weren't seeking his will. Some of the commentaries I even read said they didn't even stop and pray and ask God to help them in battle. They just brought them along thinking they would bait him in to moving. They were using God to get what they wanted. They were, they were claiming to be in right relationship with God, to, that he would, he would come and he would rescue me and them. Because, I mean, why wouldn't he, right? We're the Israelites. We're the, we're the chosen one after all. We have all the right answers and we have all the wrong motives. They were taking relationship with God for granted. They were expecting him to move on their behalf because of who they were. And church, I believe that we do the same thing. We manufacture a relationship with God and we assume God will always move and work things out for our benefit. And we run to God when we need him. 
when our worlds fall apart and our life turns upside down and we, as soon as it gets right again, we kind of seem to like we just don't have that much time to pray anymore. Or we really don't have that much time to attend or serve or share or even really care anymore because our, we got what we wanted from him. Now it's time to get back to real life. And our spoken reality is the same as Hophni and Phinehas. We are servants. When in all reality, a lot of times we're manipulators. We take God for granted. Scripture tells us that when we live a life like that, we are no more than insignificant scoundrels. There's no happy ending here. I wish there was. I wish I could come back and talk about how Hophni and Phinehas fell before God and, and repented and all that stuff. They, they died. Chapter 4. Even Eli, at the end of chapter 4, when he finds out about the ark being captured and his sons both dying, it says he, he falls backwards off his stool and he dies. That's what living this kind of life leads to is death. Death to our witness, death to our integrity, death to our relationship, to the God who gives life. And so hear me, church, and if you don't hear anything today, hear this. The only thing that matters is what you do with this giver of life. The only thing that matters. We can't play at church. We can't, we can't have all the right answers. We can't even know all the Sunday school stories, right? And if you're hoping that on some level you can earn your way there, that you can be good enough, that, that you'll, you'll make it on your own, the Bible very clearly says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. You can't earn your way there. We come to him by grace. It's this grace that God gives us that saves us and because all of us fall short, right? Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't work our way up there enough. We're never going to look at ourselves and go, we're on the same level. God, just reach out and save me because I'm right here. I'm just as good as you were. It's never going to happen. And you can play the game and you can attend and you can give and you can hope and when it's all said and done that God's going to grade us on some sort of curve at the end, but that's not what happens. There's only one thing that determines where you spend the rest of your life of eternity and it's what you do with Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we can try to work our way around him and we can try to work our way underneath him and we can try to get around the cross, but the only way to God is through the cross. We have to go through what Jesus did for us. There's no other way to it. You can't work yourself there. You can't earn yourself there. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it's with your mouth that you believe and confess and are justified. It's with your heart that you profess your faith and are saved. And hear me, church. It's more than just going through the motions. It's more than just, just, just attending church and walking an aisle and praying a prayer. This is a whole life surrender. This is a whole will surrender. Your will surrendering to his. The message that Jesus preached is not walk an aisle and say a prayer. The message that Jesus preached is not get baptized and then you're saved. The message that Jesus preached is repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Repent. 
which means you acknowledge your sin. You see what it is. You see what your sin costs, that Jesus had to come to pay the penalty for sin because the, the penalty of sin is death, right? And that Jesus came and he died, sinlessly died to pay the penalty for our sin. And we acknowledge that he came. And we, we recognize what our sin did. And we repent and we, we see that and we turn away from it to go follow wholeheartedly after God. It's a whole life surrender. It's being broken. It's understanding. And I'll tell you something, church, if something that you've never done, then I want to walk you through some of this today. It's the most important thing because some of us have been faking it for too long. We've been like the Hophni and Phinehas, serving and doing all the right things, hoping that those things will get us there, and it's time for us to get this right. And so I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask TJ to come and Miss Ruth to play, and we're just going to have a moment of prayer together where I'm going to walk you through what it means to surrender your heart and your life to God because this is the only thing that matters. We can get on the stage and we can sing songs. We can, have, we can have kids' choir and choir specials. I can, I can get up and preach my guts out. But if, if you don't have this locked in, then nothing else matters. If you don't know, maybe you've been playing the game and you've been speaking this right relationship for so long, you've even kind of begun to believe it, but you've never really fully surrendered and repented to God, then I'm going to ask that you do that today because there's no, there's, listen, there's no reason not to. If you've got questions, I'd love to answer your questions. If you say, man, I, I know, there's a lot of us that know all the right answers. We've just never committed our heart to God. And this morning, can we do that? I'm going to ask you to bow with me. If you're a believer and you know you're a believer, then you'd be praying for the people who are around you because they may not be. But if you're honest enough with yourself and you say, man, I don't know, but I'm ready to know. I'm ready to get it right. Then would you just repeat this prayer as I pray it, Father? I'm sorry I've taken your grace for granted. I'm sorry I've tried to do this on my own. I know I'll never be good enough without you. I need you to save me. I confess my sin. I confess my need for a Savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus. He paid the price of my sin on the cross. I believe he died, was buried, and raised again. And I put my hope in him. Surrender my life to the God who defeated death. Father, help me live every day in the center of your will. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me. Listen, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if that's something you prayed for the very first time, or maybe you prayed it and you meant it for the very first time, then I want to celebrate that with you. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's peeking. But would you be honest enough with yourself and with God? Is that something that you prayed this morning? Would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand? Amen. Wow. 
listen, if you're a church member and you've been solid in your relationship with Jesus for a long time, that surrender part still remains. That life of surrendering your will to His still remains. And I think for a lot of us, we need to stop playing the game of church, hoping that everything works out in the end and we really need to surrender to what God has for us. If you're a church member, I'm going to lead you through a, through a quick prayer as well. Say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for taking your grace for granted. And I know that I'm saved. Maybe I haven't been living like it. I know that you died for me. But I haven't really cared. Today, God, changes everything. Forgive me. Set me back right. And help me move forward with you. I'm going to ask you to be just as bold as I asked the others. If that's a prayer you prayed this morning as a believer, nobody's looking around, would you just raise your hand? Because we all need repentance, amen? That's right. Good. Listen, you're not in this alone. That's what the church is for. So just learn from the example of these men. pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to come and pray at the altar if you want to. You can come talk to me. If you, if you raised your hand and said, you know what, I got saved today for the first time. I, I would love to talk to you. And you have no fear in stepping out here because people here want to support you and they want to love you and they want to come alongside you and they want to celebrate the decision that you made to give your heart to Jesus today because that's what we do as a church. We celebrate that. If you prayed that prayer and you want to come talk to me, I'd love to have you do that. I'd love to walk you through what it means and how God loves you so much and how we want to come alongside you and help you to live a life surrendered to Him. If you're a believer that just said, you know what, I got recentered today. Maybe I just need to, need to come and I need to pray and I just need to pray at the altar. That's okay. You can do that too. Don't miss this opportunity. We're going to keep our head down. TJ's going to sing over us. Let me pray for us and then he'll sing. You just stay in this moment of prayer. If you need to come, you come. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for the hands that were raised. God, knowing that you're moving and knowing that you're real, God, this is something that we don't take for granted here. And we are so thankful that your presence meets with us. Father, when we're confronted with life and the games that we play, God, it's real easy to kind of push that down. It's real easy to pretend like it doesn't matter, but God, it matters. It's the most important thing. It's the only thing that matters. So, Father, this morning we just uh, we ask you to just continue to reveal yourself to us as we, as we respond to you. God, if somebody needs to come forward and talk, God, I'd love for them to do that. God, if we want to celebrate what decisions they've made, I want to do that together as a church. God, just help us to be bold in what you are calling us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Your head down and your eyes closed. TJ's going to sing over us. If you want to come, then you come. I'm here.